Well, good morning, and happy Mother's Day, moms. Um, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to uh, Exodus chapter 20, and we are in our third week of going through uh, the Ten Commandments, right? We're walking through all ten of them. And if you notice that, uh, you know, on your bulletin here, we have the Ten Commandments, and then Jesus says, um, as he talks about the law and the Sermon on the Mount, he kind of says, we have this upside-down kingdom, and if you turn off your bulletin, it's upside-down this week, right? So we're always trying to learn you guys, right? No, I'm just kidding. It was a little mess up, but I thought I'd try, you know, whatever. Uh, whatever. Yeah. But it is. He says it's an upside-down kingdom, so there we go. Didn't work at all, I know. Um, so commandment number two. We started with five, right? We went to one, and one is kind of, uh, uh, we talked about God being number one, and two um, builds on one. And it gets more specific. You know, what, what does it mean? Here's what we know about the law. Um, Moses went up to Mount Sinai and God gave him the law. If you were to take all the laws, you could distill them down into 613, right? And then if you take the Big Ten, that, that's kind of the big summary of, of all the, the, the 613 in the Old Testament. And then Jesus says, well, if you wanted to distill it down even more, you could distill it down into two. And he says... It's love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to take all 613 down to 10, down to 2. And so we're looking at the 10. And specifically, we're looking at the second commandment. Here's what he says. He says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. Or... That is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The second commandment. What is he saying here? Kind of picking up on last week. If you latch onto anything... For supremacy, except for the one true God, um, essentially, you'll end up a slave, right? And if you look at kind of the way he, he uh, addresses us as humans, you know, God could relate to us as objects. He could do that, right? That's his, that's his prerogative. He could do but he doesn't, right? He could say, I'm going to relate to you as objects, but he doesn't. He relates to us as subjects. And he says what? He says, I am the Lord your God. He doesn't just say, I am God. In fact, if you, if you uh, take the Hebrew word there, it's Elohim, which means mighty one. What is he doing? To set up the second commandment, he reminds you and me. He goes, look, I need you to remember this. I am your creator. For you to understand this, you have to remember, I just don't want to be your God. I want to be um, your Lord. I want to be the one with the most influence in your life. I want to be the one with the most clout that you think about when you make the biggest decisions. I want to be the most important one. And he says, if you give yourself to me, Westtown, if you give yourself to me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give myself to you. It's going to be unbelievable. But give yourself, right? Give yourself to me. I will love you. If you give yourself to me, I will love you. And then you know what I'll give you? Ultimately, freedom. That's what you're going to get. You will get freedom if you uh, come to me. If you promise, if you covenant, and, and the way that we related to God was through covenants or promises, right? And in the, in the Old Testament days, you cut a covenant in blood. So it would take death to stop the covenant. 
I covenant to you, right? He, he, wants, he wants you to covenant with him, to promise him that you will what? That you will worship him. That he wants to be your exclusive, right? Your exclusive, um, he wants to be the object of your worship exclusively. And even more than that, he says, that's the way I designed you. If you want to know how I designed you, that's it. You were designed uh, to worship and in fact, you were designed to worship me. If, if God pulled out your blueprints and looked at them, this is the way you were made. You were made to worship. And so when you think about what the scriptures talk about, and, and they talk about sin. And when we talk about the, the, the Ten Commandments, a lot of us, we say, well, I don't want to break any of the rules, right? We talk about it in this kind of context, using this kind of jargon. I don't want to break the rules. I don't want to break any of the Ten Commandment rules, when you really look at it, it's such a cheap, thin way and shallow way of talking about sin. The, the Bible says, hey, look, um, I need you to depend on me, right? Because here's what it says to everybody in this room. Everybody in this room depends on something. You cannot hide from the fact that everybody in this room is depending on something. You lean on something, and when you look at the, the deepest part of your soul, that, that's, that's where we go, right? So there's some of you right now that you're hurting, right? And there's something underneath your loneliness. Maybe some of you are in here are just bored, right? There's something underneath that, the scriptures say. Maybe someone in here is, you just feel rage and anger. There's something, the scriptures say, is underneath that. And so underneath everything, the scriptures say, is look, when you deal with, with your life, you are going to worship something. And the Bible says, look, um, it will, sin brings you to a state of misery if you're not worshiping the Lord. So when we think about an idol, when you think about an idol, um, why in the world would we make an image? Why would, why, why would the Israelites make a golden calf? Why would we do that? Why would they do that? Why would they make something? When you, when you look at uh, the first sin, right? Well, I remember my mom talking about a friend she had. And she goes, um, Frank, you have this friend. And, uh, um, and she would tell me about her friend. And, and her friend would say to her, you know, Joyce, um, I deal with this thing called uh, FOMO, FOMO syndrome, uh, syndrome, right? I've got FOMO syndrome. And uh, she said, I, I, have this, I have this incredible fear, FOMO, of missing out. I have this fear of missing out on something. That's the way I live my life. I don't want to miss out on anything. And if you go back to the Garden of Eden, think about, think about what the snake said. What did the snake say to Adam and Eve? Hey, if you don't eat this, you're going to miss out. So eat it. You deserve control, and you don't want to miss out on anything. So eat. Eat this apple, right? Eat this piece of fruit. You don't want to miss out on anything. And ultimately, they thought giving their lives to God would establish control, right? That we think giving our lives to God, we think he's going to say, okay, um, you have to marry this person if you give yourself to God. Or if you really give yourself to God, you're going to be sent to Siberia to be some missionary, right? That, that's, what, that, you know, that's what it is. But ultimately, we know our struggle is all about control. In Romans 1, here's what Paul says about us as humanity. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God 
nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, right? And their foolish hearts were darkened. It's a good thing, right? It's a good thing to want things. It's, it's a bad thing to blow that up. I love lemon bars a lot. I love red velvet cake a lot. I want it. I want to eat it. I want to eat two, three, four pieces. And what I do is I take a pursuit and I blow it up out of proportion, right? I take a passion. I take some, a person and I say, okay, not only are you going to be my friend, but I want to know you like this. I take a pursuit, a hobby or something, and I say, this is going to, I, I need to get, extract everything from it. It's a good thing that we turn into what? The ultimate thing. I knew, I knew two summers ago that an RV trip was going to change my family's life, baby. Right? I knew it. And I, was, I was determined that this RV trip around the United States would change our family. Right? I mean, we're going to have the time. I mean, it's going to be it. And so I did all this planning and all this stuff, and it sure changed our family, let me tell you. Right? We have, I think they still wake up in sweats thinking they have to be in that RV again. (laughs) Almost there, kids. (laughs) Another flat tire. It's just 113 out, don't worry. We know and, and we begin to take a career field, right? An endeavor. We say, if I get married, if finally I have a kid, I know I'm not going to be single anymore. I'm going to have, a, I'm going to be married or I'm going to finally have a kid or finally have a girlfriend. Or I'm going to finally get this grade, all of that, right? And we begin to look underneath and there's nothing wrong with, you know, being a good artist. There's nothing wrong with friendship, great relationships. There's nothing wrong with great music. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do well in business. But it becomes wrong when we want to blow it up and create something that isn't real. An idol is always something that you, right, that you have made. And there's motive for idolatry. And what is that? It's to keep your control. But there's a necessity to idolatry. It's because you and I have to worship something. That's what the Bible says. We were made to worship something. You cannot not worship. So we know that we, we have idols, what do idols do? They make us delusional, right? They begin to, we begin to see things that aren't there, right? And when we begin to do that, um, we begin to exchange a truth for a lie. So as a, as a kid, when you look at your mom, right, it's easy to make your mom the point because you know what? Hey, mom's the one place that I can go that I don't hear all the voices, I know it's going to be okay, I can be quirky, I can be smelly, I can be weird, and my mom loves me. And for me, that's the point, is that love. And the scriptures say, no, no, she's not the point. Mom, mom's love isn't the point, because what does the scripture say a mom is? A mom is just a signpost. A mom is just supposed to be a signpost that says, that's right, God's love is this way, and you feel it for me this way, fall, you feel that? Yeah, I'm going to point you to the one that gave me this love, right? And, and, a, and a mom to look down at her kids. You know, what are your kids? Your kids are opportunities for you to what? To show the love. That's all they are. To show the love that God gave you. That's what, it's, that's what the scriptures say. And so we are, as a mom, you're supposed to, to give that love to them. But 
when we begin to believe that that dynamic mother, kid, kid, mother is the point, it is the destination, that's when it becomes an idol. And we get off. And so, even in Isaiah 44, it says the Israelites, they took idols, and you know what they said to them? They said, save me. That's what they said to the idols. So in the ancient Near East, two of the most famous idols, one was the female god Asherah. And if you've ever heard the term Asherah pole, there's a statue of the female god Asherah, and they would literally put it on a pole and put it and stick it in the ground right outside of their house. And they would worship Asherah. Now, they prayed that Asherah, right, would get together with Baal. They're the two main gods in ancient Mesopotamia, Baal and Asherah. And here's what they prayed. Baal and Asherah, we want you to come together in this world, right, in this, this pantheon world here, and we want you to come together and have sex and be fertile. That The point was for fertility. Why? They wanted to reign. It's an agrarian society. Baal, come together with Asherah, that Asherah right outside, because we're in the now River Valley, because we live in the Fertile Crescent, because we live by the Tigris and the Euphrates, and we need rain, because when it rains, we have crops, and we have crops, we have food, and then we have money. And that is the point. And so people begin to worship Asherah, and people begin to worship Baal, because it was in their economic interests, right, for that. And so when you think about this salvation that idols used to uh, present, but I don't think it's a used to. It's right here in this room. Now, now some of you may, may have said already, all right, I've gone along, Taylor, with you for a few minutes here, <laughs> but I don't get it, right? I've always gone to church, um, and I've always worshiped God, and you're telling me I have idols in my life. That's not true. I've always worshiped God. And there's some of you are, that are saying this. You say, I don't get it. I'm not religious at all. I've come here today. I'm not totally sure why, especially now. Uh, somebody dragged me here, but I know one thing. I am not religious. Um, when you're thinking and you're, and you're thinking about organized religion, you think about your life. What the scriptures say is an idol is anything you bow before and say, save me. And maybe the best way for you to understand an idol is not to think about uh, Thinking about an idol as far as making you feel good. But how about this? What if we defined an idol as something um, that when it's lost or, or it's, it's gone from your life, you feel absolutely devastated? If you were to find an idol that way, what would it be for you? Because that's the way the scripture really talks about it. If it were, if it were mo- removed from your life, you would be absolutely done. You would say, I don't have a reason now. Purpose, it's gone, Right? It's the same thing that makes, you know, athletes push a syringe, right, into their, in, into their leg to say, you know what, if I don't have this, I don't have this body, I am nothing. It's the same thing that, to, you know, it says to a young uh, NFL up-and-comer, I've got 4.4 seconds to justify my existence before I run, uh, while running this 40-yard dash, right? It's why a young model says, I'm going to eat a burger, and then 10 minutes later, I'm going to take three fingers or two fingers and stick it down my throat because I need to make myself throw up. I need to throw it back up because I have to fit into this size four dress. I have to because it's my salvation. It is who I am. It's that young accountant that says, you know what? I will cook the books for the CEO because my, the point is that I make it. And if I have to do that, I'm going to do it. It's what, it's, it's, 
It's what we begin to worship. And the Bible says to you and to me, everybody in this room has something or some things to which you bow down. Unless I have this, my existence is not justified. What is it? Here's what we believe, that the Bible reads you, but you don't read the Bible, right? We don't believe this is some just historical book. We believe it's living and active. That's how weird Christians are. It's literally God-breathed. And so when you're here this morning, if the Bible is reading you, what is it? Because if you don't know what these things are, if you don't, you don't know yourself. Some of you pride yourself. I know myself. I'm, I'm, self, I'm, I'm a self, um, I have good self-knowledge. But there's nothing more fundamental, the scripture says, than knowing who you are than to know the answer to this question. An idol is something you look at and say, if I don't have this, then you know what? There's no reason. An idol is anything that you might add to God as a requirement for happiness. You, you fill in the blank. What is it? That's part of the struggle with the second commandment. You have to deal with these images, right? Because the great irony is, if the idol stops working, who do people get mad at? God, right? People get mad at God for their idol not working anymore, right? They, they're mad at their idol because I don't look a certain way anymore. I don't make as much money. God, will you please um, make my idol work for me? And God tells you and tells me, you know, Right now, you're not miserable because of me. God says to me, no, no, you're miserable because of you, right? Because of what you have done. Because you've built your foundation, your life, on a foundation that's too small. You've built your life serving a God that what? Ultimately can't deliver. And we're left with that. And we do not want to be there. And we feel that tension all the time. You know, uh, an idol is something that normally starts out this way. This next slide here. It's slavery to idols happens when the I desire, I want, all of a sudden your language changes and turns into I must have. I've got to have. It, I, I want this. No, no. I better have it, God. It will be this way. Anything that is turned from I desire into that is an idol. And God says when you do that, man... Here's what Jesus says it's like, very famously. Everyone, this is Matthew 7, Jesus' word. Every, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does, does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And some of you know that. You live that. You've lived that in multiple ways. Because different idols have been knocked down. They've been very sandy and they just sunk below you and you thought. Because when you realize what you've given your life to, there's this component of slavery that comes with an idol, right? It does. Because you were made to worship something and the context of that worship is a promise, is a covenant. And when you promised to that idol, when you covenant with another idol, there's slavery to that. And you feel, hey, this is encumbering me, right? This is, I'm chained to this. If I give myself to, to, to you, person, then you will bless me and make me feel this way. And that is only meant for God. What is it for you? 
how have you given yourself over, right? I must be married or I'll be angry the rest of my life, right? I want to be successful. No, I need to be successful. It's one thing to say, I want a friendship. It's another thing to say, I have to be liked, right? I desire friendship, God. No, I have to be liked by this group of people. I have to. And so, what are you in covenant with? 2 Kings 17.15 says, Because they worshipped worthless idols, they themselves became worthless. Because an idol is not really God, you will never feel like you're worth anything. Because it's absolutely endless. So here's the question. Okay, Frank, whatever. So what are the forms of idolatry? I mean, like, really, how does this work itself out? Nope. We see, uh, we see right, right here, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. So here's what we know about an idol. Next slide. Any aspect of creation can be an idol. Any aspect. From heaven to earth, anything can be an idol, right? Isn't it not easy to tell a workaholic, right? The workaholic says, unless I'm productive, I'm worthless. I have to be productive to justify my existence. The workaholic says, I will be loved if I make my Lord my productivity in my work. And unless I'm productive, I'm not lovable and I'm not loved. Other people say, you know what? Um, Have you ever heard or been around people who say, I can't be loved unless I'm messed up. Because nobody will love me unless I have a problem. So therefore, I have to have problems. That's the way I'm loved. So I'm the problem person. And other people say, I won't be lovable unless I'm the one rescuing them from their problems, right? And you get two of those people together and it's marriage made not in heaven, right? They both have idols. And when they find each other, they feed off each other. And even the person who is rescuing is actually rescuing him or herself, Because you're really not doing anything but using each other to what save your own lives and continue to worship your idol. I am needy, therefore I will be loved. I am the helpful one, therefore I will help. And as long as that cycle is going, I have a reason to live. That's what I do. You have eating disorders, right? Think about an eating disorder. What's behind that? I will have no worth unless I have total control of my physical image. That's what it is. A fatal attraction. What about that? I have to have him or I have to have her. He is the only person that's ever made me feel like a woman and I deserve to be made to feel like a woman. She is the only person that's ever made me to feel like a man. Therefore, I deserve to be made to feel like a man. I will, I will be made to feel that way and it becomes an idol. And it kills us, literally, as we covenant with our idol, and it kills us. We begin to die. Somebody says, how about somebody who says this? Well, you know what? I don't have anything in my life like that. What are you talking about, Frank? You know what your idol is? If you say stuff like that, if I say stuff like that, the fact that you're so totally in charge of your life that you really don't get bent out of shape about anything, right? You're that person. You don't give yourself to anything, and therefore, you give yourself to that, right? And that is to not give yourself to anything. You are a slave as well. People complain about you. Why? How do they complain about you? You're so detached in relationships. 
You never give yourself at all. That's right. Because you gave yourself to being an island, right? No one touches me, so you're safe. But no one knows you. And you're, in, and, you, and you're enslaved to that type of life, and that's your idol because, hey, that's my moniker. I, you know, I'm Iron John, man. I'm an island. What if you get a bunch of people together that struggle with the same thing? You hear terms like this. Hey, business is business, right? What about a group of business people? They get together and they begin to talk about, hey, how are we going to do things? And you hear business is business. And, and you begin to hear those guys say, oh, you're a church guy? I don't mind if you're moral. That's cool. Oh, you're one of those? Oh, you go to church every week? You're a moral guy? Okay. You help out with VBS? I don't mind. I don't mind at all. Uh, I don't mind if you're religious. Um, you know, as, as, as long as you know, that's fine. Um, and then all of a sudden, your morality and uh, your church gets in the way of business. Because, well, hey, Frank, in this case, you know, business is business. And it trumps morality and it trumps church. Because business is business. Because what is that saying? Business is life. Making money is life. So you can have church as long as it doesn't get in the way. You can have morality all you want as long as it doesn't get in the way because business is business. Because that's the way we roll, right? You get a bunch of people together that say, you know what? It's our bloodline, right? It's our bloodline that matters. And then next thing you know, you got fascism, right? And you got crazy things like ethnic cleansing. Because, you know, this is what matters. It's our bloodlines, It's our ethnicity. And we get together and we begin to worship that or we begin to worship a political party this way or that way, right? Or a certain work ethic. Or maybe you're the one that says, no, I'm flexible. That's who I am. I'm available. I'm the available one. And you define yourself by your availability and your flexibility. I'm not the rigid person. I'm the caring person. No. It's all, all enmeshed. How do we deal with it? I'm the smart one. We're around smart people. We're intellectual and you become right? Arrogant and haughty. And God wants to destroy these idols. And you don't think of them as carved images, but they are, and they're all around us. Which one do you struggle with? The Bible reads us. We don't read the Bible. He gave us the Ten Commandments because he says, look, I want you to see the laws. Morgan preached a few weeks ago. I want you to see the laws, honey, because if you follow, it'll be sweet and you'll live. So how do we destroy them, right? That's the question I think we all want to know. How do we destroy these idols? And if, they're, if they're, they're messing with our lives, how would you destroy them, right? Well, I think we, we see in the scripture, either you're a follower of God or you're an idolater. And an idolater says something like this. I want to create a God that I like. I want to create a God that pleases me. And a follower says something like, I want God to create in me someone who pleases him. That's counter, right? Counterintuitive. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. How do you lead? Get on your knees and wash somebody's feet. That's what Jesus did. What? Yeah. An idolater says, I want a God in my image. A follower says, I want God to make me in his image. That's how we begin to destroy our idols. Can you begin to do that? And after you've decided, and after you've decided to do that, right? He says, look, I want you to take these issues. I want you to take the, these ideas. And I, and I need you to first identify the idols in your heart. And we've already talked about this, but the way in which you do that, I think, is to ask yourself the question, what are the things that you most dread in life right now? What are the things that you worry about the most? What are the things right now, this past month, that preoccupy your brain the most? What is it? 
And you're going to land around something where, where God says this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. That's out of bondage. That's out of slavery. And in the Old Testament, God brought them out, right? In the New Testament, here's how people got out of slavery. They were redeemed, right? Redemption happened. What does that mean? He buys them out. That's what Jesus does. He buys them out. That's what redemption is. The word redeem means to buy someone out. And the way God actually redeems us is in who? It's in Jesus So when we begin to think that way, to believe in Jesus, this is more than Jesus saying, Jesus is my moral guide. Some of us just say that. He's my moral guide. No, that's not redemption. That's not what redemption is, right? Some of us say, well, Jesus forgives my sin in some general way. And that, no, it's more than that. Redemption is this. Jesus, you alone are my justifier. That's it. You alone are my justifier. And you alone are are my Lord. I got to root out these idols in my life, the things I think about, wanting to be seen in a certain way. So why would I not want to host a presbytery meeting when we were over at Farnell, right? Why would I not want to have all my colleagues come to Farnell and have a presbytery meeting? Maybe it was the blue plastic chairs and linoleum, (laughs) meeting in the cafetorium, Powerful word, cafetorium. That's what they call it. Right? No, no, no. I want to have a presbytery here in this building, right? In the new building. Because we're a church plant, dadgummit, and we made it. And it makes me look better. Why, did, why, why does that stuff go through my head, right? I mean, what, what, that, I mean that's, what is that? If you were to take all the junk out of that, what is that? Frank, you want to be seen a certain way. Why? Because performance matters for you. Yeah. Performance matters. Idol, right? Why am I nervous about transition from Morgan becoming our assistant pastor? Right? And we brought this guy in, Patrick, ironically, to be to candidate to be our new youth pastor. Why am I fixated on that, preoccupied with that over the past three days? Part of that is because I want to be a good steward, but part of that is, no, no, I want transition to happen smoothly. Why? Because I want unity on our staff. Why? At some level, because I want to be seen as a good leader. What is this about, Frank? Is it about you or is it about him? Why do you walk in here feeling lonely this morning? Can you... Can you Peel the onion a little. Why why are you nervous all the time? Why do you only feel bitter inside? He says, we need to look under that, that you've been bought with a price. You've been redeemed. That's who you are. Jesus has justified you, not any of this other junk. And we live in this. And Jesus says, can you follow the second commandment? Not to just follow, because it's life when we love the law. Jesus filled it, completely obeyed it, perfectly for us so we don't have to now we get to and so what if on this mother's day we're we're able to look at jesus and say you know what god man i'm so thankful for my mom you know what i love about so uh, you need to google um rembrandt's prodigal son right the return of the prodigal son it's rembrandt's painting and you need to zoom in on two hands right Because Rembrandt made the two hands very differently. He made the one hand very rugged and masculine, like the father hand, right? And it was the father. But then if you look at the other hand, it's pale and softer. And the way the hand is on the prodigal that's coming home 
It's just so nurturing. It's so caring, right? Too different. It's like this mothering love of God. And I think about that like, that's the point of our moms here this morning. They point us to Jesus. When you run and you kiss your mom on the cheek and you tell her you love her, that's from the Lord. We don't worship that. We worship God because he's given us that. And all the more we love him because he first loved us through giving us Jesus. So when you think to yourself, I break the second commandment, why? Why do we put up idols? How can we destroy them? It takes courage to do this, right? It takes some self-reflection and some honesty. But I think, hey, what if we were to be able to talk at a whole different level of honesty about what is it? What, what kind of idols do we, quote, put um, up? I want to end with this. I wanna, it says, the last part that I want to end with, is, it tells us that God is a jealous God. And when you think of the word jealous, do you think of a positive thing? I generally think of negative things, right? But it describes God as jealous, right? And so when you think, okay, what are you trying to tell here? What are you trying to tell us, God, that you are a jealous God? And I think when you really look at it, he's trying to tell you and me, you know what? He is in love with you. And what happens when you're in love with somebody? And there is somebody that is um, kind of, uh, that could potentially replace that love or attack that love. You get jealous, right? You become mama bear. And you get jealous of what's happening. And God tells you and me, because I love you. When God is jealous, what he's trying to say is, I hate to see you in the arms of another idol. You Maybe you could see it this way. It's like God's jealousy says, you think they can show you a good time? Watch this, right? You think that can show you a good time? God says, wait, you come to me and you watch me. Don't bow down before that that idol. As we begin to walk and grow and destroy idols, I think we're going to see God's covenant, jealous love all the more. If you're here for a reason, if in God's providence you're here on Mother's Day, why would he have you here and what would he have you take from this? Please make it personal. Please don't make this thing a lecture. Please don't. Make it real. Make it something that you'll talk about, that you'll pray through, maybe even at lunch, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow morning. Um, the point of this is applying it to our lives and seeing life change. So let's pray and ask God to do that in us. God, we know that we are idolaters. You know my own heart. And it's the constant reapplying of this. The truth of you're a jealous God and you don't want me to bow down. I think other idols will give me more blessing and pleasure often. And that's just a lie. Help my unbelief, Father, please. Change it. Change our unbelief. Father, we love you and we need you in your name. Amen.